Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 156. We're opening the door to discussing ethical investment today on the show, and I've invited Adam Verwey and Kirsten Hunter from Future Super to talk to us about that. But I want to say this is not a financial advice podcast. This is absolutely not a sponsored podcast. The company hasn't paid to be on here. They're just great people that work in the space of ethical investment and have a specialization, therefore. And given I want to highlight this topic and interview numerous people in this space in the final quarter of this year so that we can all start to really dig deeper on where our money is kept and what that money Money is funding. Uh, just like we talk about shaping the world from our shopping baskets to accelerate the shaping of the world we want to see, thinking about where our money is kept really turbocharges things. So that's why I want to highlight this topic. Uh, and I'll just say again, if you need financial advice specific to your own personal situation, please consult with a financial advisor. Now, I have a couple of things to talk about before hooking into that discussion. We have the wonderful Ultimate Healthy Living Bundles. This is the last day. So if you happen to be an early bird listening to the podcast, and this applies to anyone anywhere in the world, you get this incredible... Uh, opportunity to access this bundle 98% off with 47 ebooks, 32 e-courses, audios, workshops, printable packs, summits, all these incredible resources, including our going gluten-free e-course that's normally on its own 39 Australian dollars. You get the whole shebang for 37 US dollars. That's 4,000 Australian dollars worth of resources. It's crazy. It happens six days a year. I love contributing to it because it's a wonderful way for people to get access to a ton of resources at a crazy excellent price. Uh, And I want you to head to this URL to make the most of that if you're listening today. That's http dot dot forward slash forward slash bit dot lee, which is L Y forward slash U H L B 2019. So I'll repeat that again. HTTP dot dot forward slash forward slash bit dot L Y forward slash U H for Harry L B 2019. Head there, grab your bundle. Uh, People are already raving about it and sending me some feedback. Uh, And a pro tip, if you're not into then receiving a barrage of emails after you've purchased the bundle, just unsubscribe from their emails. It's not something that Lotox Life puts on. It's the ultimate ultimate bundles company. And they basically bundle up all these resources and uh, provide these offers year round with all sorts of different things. So enjoy. And uh, I can't wait to see what you thought of the going gluten-free uh, e-course because a lot of people need to, want to, curious to, absolutely by no means should everybody. Um, good, there's always good and bad of all types of whole foods, but if you do have to or you're curious about going gluten-free, it's a really great resources that we've put together for you there. Now, 
Thank you to everybody telling me what they're making the most of the Walida offer this month with. I've seen pictures of calendula baby products being bought, uh, people taking me up on my beautiful rose, uh, smoothing rose face cream uh, recommendation, and uh, I hope everybody's enjoying that. You have 15% off with Walida for the full month of September and free shipping with $79.95 orders or more. That's walida.com.au. Yes, that's just for the Aussies. And your code is LOTOXLIFE19. Walida, if you haven't heard of them, is not some new product capitalizing on the trend of organic and low-tox ingredient awareness. These guys have been going for nearly 100 years, 98 in fact, and they are the world's leading manufacturer of certified natural and organic skincare and anthroposophic medicines. So there are many, many reasons why I love this brand. One of them is since 2016, they've been gifting uh, 500 little Walida B, B and B hotels to primary schools across Australia and teaching the curriculum to help kids connect to nature and understand the importance of our bees. Uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about that project, walida.com.au forward slash B hyphen hotel. It's a really, really heartwarming initiative. And it's estimated that they've actually reached 110,000 students across Australia with this program. If you're interested in bees, I actually did a wonderful show with Nick from uh, Milkwood Permaculture on bees uh, way, way back in 2017. So I urge you to go and check that one out because it's a really fantastic interview to help you fall in love with bees. I know you're already falling in love with Walida with your 15% off. So head to walida.com.au and your code is LOTOXLIFE19 to make the most of this month's offer. Enjoy today's show with Adam and Kirsten from Future Super. Hello, Adam and Kirsten. How are you guys? We're great. Great to meet you. (laughs) It's great to have you both on the show. And I'm really excited about this discussion because we've got a bit of a focus on divestment in the low-tox life community over uh, October through December. And it's, it's so important for us to really know what we're actually doing when we do that, which is why I think you two are perfectly placed to usher us through all of the benefits. But I'd love to start by asking each of you uh, your passion for both ethics and sound investment, financial freedom, et cetera. How did that, um, how did those two things meet or were you always kind of trying to figure out how to make investing and banking more ethical uh, as you became personally interested in that as a career choice? Adam, let's start with you. uh, Yeah, thank you for the question. Yeah, my my journey into the ethical investment space started when I was uh, quite young and didn't even really know what investment or ethical investment uh, was. Uh, So I grew up in a town called uh, Broken Hill which is an outback town, sort of a bit of an unusual town in that there's a very large mine right in the middle of town, right on the main street. Uh, And it's a lead mine. Uh, And all the uh, sort of, yeah, yeah. And all the tailings and uh, and sort of slag from the mines is built up into a big hill right in the middle of town. Uh, And it's actually a very toxic I was going to say, just a bit of lead uh, dust for the school children to breathe into. Lovely. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and that lead dust, uh, you know, it blows around town. And if you're um, unfortunate enough to be born in that town, you're likely to have a very uh, 
high chance of having uh, high lead levels in your blood, which can have a very damaging effect on your ability to learn, your ability to be successful in life. Uh, thankfully, I went to Broken Hill with my family when I was in high school and passed that sort of uh, age where that sort of thing was critical. Um, but I guess it was just sort of, um, you know, for me, you know, emblematic of Broken Hill where people in that town were working very hard, particularly working in the mining industry, but at the same time suffering the consequences of that industry in their personal lives and their children were suffering in particular. And I guess there was this mythology in a town like Broken Hill that all of that uh, work, all of that suffering sort of is for the common good. And I guess when I was towards the end of high school, I had this sort of flash moment where I realised that uh, the BH in BHP stood for Broken Hill. Uh, this Broken Hill proprietary, this exceptionally large global company, and realised that you know, the suffering in this town, uh, what children faced with uh, high uh, lead levels in their blood, wasn't for the common good. It was making a few people very, very rich. Uh, and that sat really uncomfortably with me. But as a sort of a teenager, you don't really know what to do with this piece of information. You just know that um, you know, a company has made a lot of money uh, and people in that town where they uh, were operating have suffered quite a bit. And then so I left Broken Hill, I went to university uh, in Canberra, got involved in the student unions, found a bit of an outlet for this uh, anger through, uh, <laughs> through getting involved in student unions, which uh, person got involved in student unions as well. So I think it's I, I chose Greenpeace for my <laughs> anger outlet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And through that, um, uh, at one point, some students asked where the student union was investing its own money. And we looked into it, realised it wasn't invested uh, in a way that was aligned with the values of this student union and, and sought out and chose an ethical investment fund. And it sort of triggered me to think about where my own money was invested. And I was a student, I didn't have much money, but I did have a superannuation account with probably just a few hundred dollars in it, in a sort of a rest superannuation account. Uh, and when I looked at where it was invested, my biggest holding was in BHP. Wow. And that just sort of, a, a sort of awful thing to realise that this company that represented a lot of things that I, I really uh, disliked was the thing that I had my very small amount of money invested in the most. So I took the step of finding out what ethical superannuation funds existed and moved my money away. Made me feel great about incorporating my values into how my superannuation was invested. But I guess I sort of did it as an individual, not as a <laughs> collective movement, uh, which, which I know we'll, we'll discuss uh, later. But it made me feel so great. I got really interested in ethical investment from that point. And it just happened to be that the uh, ethical uh, investment company I moved my super to just happened to be across the road from my university. So I went straight from university, applied for a job there uh, and worked at that company for, for 10 years <laughs> before starting Future Super. So uh, so I started my journey pretty pretty early uh, in my yeah. career. Uh, and how I know it, Kirsten... Yeah, how did it play out for you, Kirsten? Um, so some, some areas of similarity, some differences. Um, I grew up in Tweedheads, which is sort of, you know, coastal, just south of the Queensland border. Um, very idyllic place to grow up, but it was uh, during the 90s recession. And so it was also a very hard time for my family in particular and the broader community. Um, but uh, while we didn't have a lot of money, we were very involved in the community through the school, through Surf Life Saving. My dad was a volunteer swimming coach for the local kids. And so I kind of, I suppose, always grew up with this idea that you, your involvement in the community is something that doesn't matter how much money you've got, we all sort of are a part of the community and we give what we can to make that community function. Um, and I carried that with me through university, through my corporate jobs. I started out working as a lawyer and then as a management consultant for a number of years. And I kind of always had this mindset of, um, 
taking the skills I was learning in my corporate life and putting them to work in the community sector. So I was a um, volunteer director, uh, worked with the youth food movement as they expanded from a single operation um, to a global network, uh, did a lot of social return on investment projects and things like that while I was working at Bain & Company. Um, but over time, I found that sort of setting my career up in that two-tracked way where I had my corporate day job and then my sort of community work on the side um, was getting harder and harder to juggle. And particularly once I had my baby and came back to work, I just didn't have the time to do those two things in parallel. Um, at the same time, having my baby uh, really made a lot of the things I was reading about climate change and the impact that humans were having on the climate make made all of those things a lot more real to me. So reading reports about things like wildfires, food shortages, um, coral reef extinction happening by 2040 was a really, like hit me like a ton of bricks because in 2040, my daughter's gonna be 26. She'll be younger than I am now. And the world that she inherits from my generation and those that have come before me is gonna be limited by these things that are happening because of the actions that we're taking now. And so, it sort of gave me a lot of urgency and I no longer wanted to be uh, spending my days uh, doing things that weren't sort of contributing to um, to doing everything that I could to stop that sort of future from happening for her. And so at the same time, um, I heard about Future Super at, at that point and um, got an introduction to Simon and Adam and just sort of started, uh, I was a financial services specialist and so for me, a financial services company with a really strong impact mission just felt like the right next step for me. So got an introduction to Simon and Adam at Future Super, started doing a little bit of work on the side um, while I was at Bain and then eventually that work on the side became more and more a part of what I was doing. I realized that I was enjoying that a lot more than my day job and so when the opportunity came up to take a short-term role with Future Super, I jumped to that, came across for six months, halfway through we realised that we loved working together and we converted it from a short term role to my permanent role. So that was two and a half years ago now. Um, and so my, my motivation I suppose has been more how can I take these amazing things that I've learned working in corporate Australia and actually use that to create a business that creates the kind of future for my child and the community that I think is worthy of us all um, once we get to that point. Yeah, beautiful. And I mean, a real, uh, so much of this is really, I like to use the metaphor of uh, putting, like pumping oxygen through veins in blood. And we've been doing that, that we've been encouraging the wrong flow <laughs> when it comes to money. And it's just about redirecting the flow to where we have the best chance of survival and thriving. And that's really as simple for me as I see uh, ethical investment being, uh, especially for the end user, the consumer who ultimately just makes a quick phone call and swaps all their money over to something that's intrinsically good. So Adam, um, how did, you, you mentioned you worked uh, in the previous place for 10 years and then you decided to start Future Super. What, um, without obviously um, naming and shaming, what were you not seeing working for someone else that you felt would be more powerful by starting Future Super yourself? Yeah, and I don't think um, I don't think my comments will be a reflection on any particular company, but I think around uh, the ethical investment industry more generally, which yeah. is most people who choose to invest ethically do it in a very similar way to how I initially did it, which was I saw what I was invested in, I wasn't happy about it, and I researched and found a fund that reflected my values better and I made the switch, but I did it sort of quietly, um, you know, on my computer at home, 
and it was a great personal action to make that made me feel great. But because I did it on my own rather than as a collective action, I wasn't really doing uh, as much as I could to create the change I wanted to see in the world. Gotcha. I, uh, yeah, so, so I guess uh, one of the things uh, that sort of drives why we created Future Super in the first place was wanting to not just be an ethical superannuation fund, but one that feeds into the uh, collective power of us all working together uh, to redirect how that $2.7 trillion in superannuation funds uh, is invested. Uh, and it would be great to see a lot more super funds and investment funds have this sort of purpose of collective action around them rather than just being a way for individuals to, to make money or, or to invest in a certain way. It's so interesting, isn't it? Um, the author of um, Cradle to Cradle, that amazing book back in 2002, talks about how not being bad isn't the same as being good. <laughs> and I really like that being pointed out because... Uh, I think it perfectly describes your motivation. It was like it was good to kind of do something, but it wasn't proactive enough. It wasn't really like putting your neck out there in in the way that starting a business that says this is what we stand for, come and join us, let's do this. Um, that is yeah. definitely being good <laughs> in that in that comparison. Yeah, exactly, and and I think. Um uh, same as it's been great to have someone like Kirsten come into our business with a different background uh, and, a, and a great knowledge around corporate Australia and how to make change in corporate Australia. Even though I'd been working in ethical investment for a long time before starting Future Super, I really wasn't uh, aware of all the, uh, all the sort of other things that we could be doing to help create a bigger change uh, through the way our money uh, is invested and how we could trigger that sort of collective action. And for me, that big change came when in... Uh, 2013, uh, I was sort of really worried about a potential Tony Abbott government and having a climate change denier as our Prime Minister and really uh, concerned about, well, what can I do to help protect some of that action that had been made on climate change by the previous government? And I was one of those people who puts up their hands to run for the Greens, uh, knowing there's not a, a great chance uh, that I'll get elected, but I could potentially help a, a Senate candidate get over the line and help protect some of that amazing uh, work that the previous government had done on climate change. And for me, for me, that Senate candidate I was trying to help get elected was a, a guy called Simon Shake, who had just mm. finished up as National Director at GetUp. And for me, it was uh, the first time that I'd seen what really great community organising looked like. Obviously, Simon took all of the, the skills and, and things he'd learned from his time at GetUp and applied them to a political campaign really focused around climate change and addressing inequality. And in Canberra, where I was living at the time, uh, got a, a community of a thousand people volunteering on his campaign to help drive those issues. Wow. Isn't this amazing? Wouldn't it be great if we could apply the community organising techniques that people like Simon can harness really well and apply it to the industry that I already work in, which is ethical investment, and try and trigger that one big switch? And I think that's been one of the really great things about uh, Future Super is bringing, bringing people like Simon and Kirsten in from sort of outside the superannuation industry and using their skills to help build... Uh, future super and help build this big collective action we could take with this uh, $2.7 trillion that's in our superannuation account. Love it. So $2.7 trillion is what Australians currently have invested in super as the total figure, right? That's mm. right. Let's chip away at that, shall we, in a big way. <laughs> I'm excited about that. And um, do you are you both familiar with how um, people prepare for retirement in some of the ma other major economies around the world? Uh, is it is it quite similar where people are sort of forced to put away some cash every year 
um, because there are hedge funds and and investment funds everywhere, right? So this would apply to anyone listening around the world, just thinking about how they're investing for their retirement, I'd assume. Uh, Yeah, I think Australia is a little bit unique in having a compulsory uh, Mm. superannuation or pension scheme where individuals have uh, sort of control over where their money is invested. I think in a lot of countries it might be an optional scheme, like in, in the United States, yeah. or uh, where the governments have their version of what we have here with the future funds, where it's sort of a government-run pension-type scheme where you're a beneficiary. Yeah, it's like you're a beneficiary of the way uh, the, the government is investing your money for you, but you don't necessarily have control over where that money is invested. So I think Australia is a little bit unique there, but um, definitely ethical investment is something that's a, that's a global global thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and certainly I think the scale of the superannuation industry in Australia relative to the overall market is quite unique. Um, $2.7 trillion is the third largest pool of investable money in the world. Um, and Wow, you know, our tiny early, little country. Our tiny little country, exactly. And, um, and Australia is a tiny little com- country. And so what that means is that um, if you look at the ASX, Super funds hold around 50% of all of the shares on the ASX. Mm. Um, they're the largest shareholder in our largest company, and that means that super funds collectively control the way our economy behaves in Australia. They control the way our companies treat their employees and their customers. They control um, the extent to which they focus on short-term profits versus investing for the future. Um, and that's a really powerful thing that we, a powerful thing that we've entrusted our superannuation funds to control for us on our behalf. Um, and then the other piece as well is, as Adam sort of alluded to, the individual choice element that we have in Australia about being able to not only choose which superannuation funds we trust with our money, but also contribute to that to a greater or lesser extent through personal contributions over our lifetime for those of us, of course, with the privilege of having enough money to spare to be able to put into our super fund um, does make it something where I think we have an opportunity to connect with our retirement savings much younger in life or at an earlier stage in life than in another country where um, it might be more dependent on government, government policy can change it. It sort of feels like it's one step removed from the individual and their ability to control their financial uh, future in retirement. Mm. And Kirsten, obviously, given you used to be the chair of the youth food movement, something that comes up a lot is how are the different generations approaching this and are the young people coming through, our millennials, do they have active conversations in a more powerful way than say Gen Y, X and the baby boomers did about where their superannuation is going? Are they more discerning? Uh, I'd love to know, having worked with so many in that generation uh, over the last few years, what's happening there? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I do think that um, young people are probably more willing to engage in the detail with something like superannuation than say people my age and sort of 15, 20 years older. And partly that's to do with an expectation of the ease of availability of information, your ability to take action and make change um, yourself at the time of your choosing. Um, You know, young people, millennials, digital natives that are coming through, they're used to being able to jump online, find the information they need, make a decision, do their own research, make a change on the spot and have that decision implemented. Whereas um, I'm just at the end of the the generation that's come through it 
and when I, when I first consolidated my superannuation a couple of years into my university time, it was a paper form. It was a certified copy of my license. I had to send it out to each of my super funds. They sent back a check, which I had to pass on to my new super fund. It was a very administratively heavy process. It was complicated. There were lots of forms. There was lots of fine print. And it was the feeling it left you with was that this is going to be a hard thing and it's going to take me a long time to figure out. Whereas I think um, people who are used to being able to interact with companies and make the decision end-to-end -end in a digital context don't have those barriers to engaging with financial services products, with banking, with superannuation. Yeah, such a good I think point. It's not just that they expect it to be easy, but I think younger generations also expect complete transparency as mm -hmm. well, which I don't think is necessarily an attitude that's uh, instinctive to uh, older generations. I think they just expect that you know, they can go onto a super funds website, see exactly where their money is invested, see exactly the values held by their fund. And because they also know it is really easy to switch because they expect things to be easy. Um, they also know that if they don't like what they see, it's, um, it's very quick for them to take an action uh, to address that. Yeah, which is so powerful. I mean, that's where technology really helps us out these days. I remember having to do the whole consolidation of super funds. I <laughs> think it took me about three days of hard slog. So to change tack a little bit and really just uh, <laughs> go all in on the elephant in the room, uh, fossil fuels, why do you think Australia is still finding it so hard to switch away from fossil fuels uh, and our engagement with dealing with climate change is so slow, especially given we are, I believe, and it seems by all counts, sitting on a gold mine as a renewable superpower of tomorrow is it, is it just that we are scared of the future? I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on this. Yeah, I think uh, like it's true that Australia is home to some very large fossil fuel companies and these companies have been investing uh, very heavily on increasing their influence to slow our progress away from fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we're also seeing increasingly is that the power in our communities uh, of climate concern, people acting together is more powerful than what the fossil fuel lobby is. I think we just don't always realise that. Um, I think what we've seen is the fossil fuel divestment movement, which is a movement of tens of thousands of Australians moving their money away from funding fossil fuels through their super or their banking or through their energy provider. That's been really successful at cutting off the access fossil fuel companies have to getting more funding. It's made it almost impossible for a new coal-fired power station to be built in Australia. And it's very, very difficult uh, for a company to find funding for a new coal mine to be built. Mm. Uh, so that shows that the actions of people moving their money alone uh, has uh, been uh, more successful than what the fossil fuel lobby has been. And what we've also seen is just individuals putting solar on their roofs, which is what millions of Australians have done is completely changing our energy grid in a way that um, the fossil fuel lobby can't counter that. Like our energy grid is changing because Australians are taking these sorts of actions uh, and so it's inevitable that that change that we want to see um, is going to happen. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, even though these vested interests seem large, they seem powerful, they're just really no match against a sort of a community of people coming together and taking the easy but highly impactful actions like switching your super switching your banking, switching your energy provider, uh, and if you've got uh, the funds putting solar and, and batteries uh, in your home as well. Yeah, and it just goes to show that money talks, right? You know, when, we, when I first started Low Tox Life, one of our chief, uh, uh, I guess, goals was to educate around our food system and 
it's, you know, I think about all the processed foods that I would highlight and share simple comparisons, easy recipes to swap people to. And I would always say people will stop making what people don't buy. And to survive as a company, they're either going to have to change what they make or go under. Uh, So no company wants to fail. And so they will follow the consumers and any trends that we decide are valid. And it it feels like this is a real opportunity for us to to show our power. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, what can I do with a $25 donation to an Amazon, uh, you know, uh, uh, protection fund or what can I do? But we forget that when we all join together, we are multi-billionaires. Yeah, exactly. It's easy to overlook that in our superannuation funds, for example, that's often our biggest or second biggest asset. So uh, changing the way that's invested is one of the more impactful things we can do. Uh, same as, uh, you know, where you choose to have your home loan. That's one of the most um, uh, revenue-producing things for banks. So if you choose to make a values-based decision about where your banking is and you switch a home loan as a result, that's going to be really impactful on uh, how banks choose to lend money out. Yeah. It's one of the – it's – a really exciting time at the moment actually to be in the forefront of this movement because especially after the recent election in Australia, we're seeing more and more people who are becoming future super members because they're wanting to take action. They're seeing what's happening around them with their government, with the companies, um, with the subsidies that are being handed out to industries uh, that are damaging our environment and they're just thinking, you know what, like I don't have to stand for this. and. I don't want to wait another four years for a change of government. What can I do right now that's going to have an impact? Um, And because of the size of that superannuation uh, pool in Australia, the $2.7 trillion, um, it is a really powerful way that individuals can use their own actions pulled together to drive a massive amount of change. Uh, We did some research which uh, found that with just 7.7% of that $2.7 trillion sitting in our superannuation accounts, Australia could completely move to a renewable energy electricity sector. A 7.7% is not a big number. Mm. Um, And so it makes it a lot more real for people to think, well, we don't have to change everyone in Australia, but 7.7%, you know, that's not that many people. And so by pulling together, by jumping on board, by using our consumer power to shape the world that we want to see, we can actually make a material difference and we can force our government and the companies around us to make the change that we expect them to do. Yeah, I love that. So good. And and so it's, it really is so empowering and it makes me excited at the potential when I think, you know, we have 50,000 people listening to this podcast every month. Like imagine that, you know, we're well on our way, chipping away up towards that 7.7%, was it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? If 50,000 people divested their superannuation money um, as a result of listening to this podcast, it wouldn't just be those 50,000. I'm pretty sure the big super funds would start to listen if 50,000 people moved their money away from them as well. And all of a sudden, we've got hundreds of billions of dollars that are moving out of fossil fuels. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we heard from a, a trustee of one super fund that even getting 12 letters from their members uh, around something like their investment in fossil fuels would feel like an avalanche <laughs> of uh, Really? 12 letters? Wow, that yeah. is so insightful. Um, yeah, so it's surprising how low some of the tipping points are, but what it takes is for people not just to take an action to divest from fossil fuels and make an ethical decision, but to actually be sort of loud and proud about mm-hmm. it, make sure that 
you know, the funds they're switching from know why they switched. They should talk to their friends and families about why they did something like switching their super to help take action on climate change. Because it might not be uh, instinctive to everybody, but um, there's this sort of power in our superannuation funds to do this. There sure is. And once one person does it in the household, often the, they'll be having a conversation with a partner or a brother or sister friend. Uh, they'll get their teenage kids when they start uh, on their super fund to say, no, no, I'm with these guys. So that's where my super can be paid into. And, you know, you create a ripple effect that's almost immeasurable. Absolutely. Yeah. Exciting. Okay. So something else that I find really exciting about Future Super, and if I can say a couple of the other um, big ethical funds, is that it's transcending the ethics of now and the creation of a better future, but it's a genuinely exciting financial conversation to be having. And I often feel like those of us who haven't been excited by money and finance in the past, and I will put my hands up as one of those people, it's never been my strong suit to discuss or to cultivate or to, you know, I've never been one of the, yeah, let's talk investment, let's talk property. That That's never been me until I had ethical investment. And now I feel so much more motivated because my money doesn't feel dirty. Um, can we talk mm. about the importance of uh, you know, having conversation with investment um, managers and including a focus on sustainability with our financial planners uh, and how you're seeing that side of things play out in the finance industry. Yeah, it's great. And we find that uh, within the finance industry, this is actually a really common conversation uh, to have. Mm. Um, and maybe, maybe I should just take a step back and, and sort of say that the investment philosophy that Future Super has is that companies that have superior credentials on environmental, social and governance issues will just tend to perform financially better over the long term. Yeah, and at the okay. same time, there's also really great investment opportunities in the activities and infrastructure that will deliver a, a healthier planet and healthier communities. And on the flip side, there's a, a sort of an, a great understanding now that there's major risks involved in investing in companies and activities that are destroying the planet and destroying our communities. Uh, and so we can see so both the positive and negative sides from a financial uh, view here. So uh, on the one side, the risk of fossil fuels uh, is not just a future risk to our investment returns. We did some research last year which showed that uh, if, if, the, if an Australian had $100,000 in their superannuation fund, but over the last five years, they would have lost $8,000 alone from investment in fossil fuel companies. Wow. So it's not just... The future risk that our fossil fuel companies are overvalued, this is being played out already and it makes it a very smart financial decision in our view uh, to avoid investment in fossil fuels. Mm. On the other side of that, what we've also found is that companies which are carbon leaders, which are the best in their industry at reducing the carbon footprint of their operations, outperform across all sectors and across uh, all time periods. So it shows that not just avoiding fossil fuels is a smart financial thing to do, but companies who are leading the way on uh, their carbon efficiency have also, over the last number of years, done really well also. Um, and it's not just in sort of this environmental space where we've seen this play out as well. Uh, I mean, we're a broadly ethical fund and we, uh, we are looking at a number of different ethical issues. And, and one of the ones where Kirsten's led our campaigning is around uh, the importance of taking uh, gender equality into account in our investment decision. It's another one where there's a really clear link between making the right ethical choice and uh, you know, producing financial outperformance at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and I think as well to your question, Alex, uh, there is a lot of power that we have as superannuation managers, as managers of other people's money, because of that fact that superannuation does own such a large portion of the the ASX listed companies. Um, you know, the the excuse that's often given for bad behaviour by corporates is that it's not about employees, it's not about customers, but their focus has to be on delivering value to shareholders. Now, mm. we are their shareholders <laughs> yeah, through exactly. our superannuation. We are their shareholders. And so we have a right through our super funds to demand that those companies um, treat us better, both in our capacity as their shareholder and in our capacity as their employees and their customers. And gender diversity has been an area that we've been focusing on lately because there's just so much research which shows that companies with diverse boards perform better economically as well as provide better outcomes for uh, people of different backgrounds working for them as well. Um, and companies know this, they see this research. And so for us as investment managers, if a company sees the research which says that they'll perform better with diversity in their leadership and on their board and they choose to ignore that, then they're putting our members' money at risk by leaving money on the table, basically. And so we, we've engaged with the companies we're investing in that did have all-male boards. We asked them to provide a plan to bring diversity to their boards. We had some great responses and some where they even did, uh, as a result of our lobbying, bring diversity to their boards, which is great to see. But others who, again, chose to ignore that research, chose to ignore the request that we made as a shareholder in those companies. And so we made the decision in May this year to divest our portfolio from all companies that had all-male boards. Um, it's it's not, uh, not always the most popular decision, but it's certainly a powerful one. And it's certainly a way for us as investment managers to really insist on the kind of corporate behaviours that we expect to see, that our members expect to see, and that the community deserves to see. So good. So good. And so amazing that you're able to now um, provide that transparency for your members to see that that's what you're about. You know, I think that's another beauty of social media and technology these days is we have immediate access under the hood of what companies are doing and how they're performing. And we also have the right and direct line to be able to ask if we can't see it, right? Mm, absolutely. And it's that intersection point between ethics and economics. It's not mm. just the right thing to do. It's also uh, been proven in many different research to produce a better outcome for those companies, for their workers um, and for their shareholders. Yeah. And, you know, some of those financial stats that you've both just shared there, uh, that transcends Australia. And I know um, we're looking at that in companies all around the world uh, in terms of performance metrics. Um, and how they yeah. how set how they set themselves up, so that's really exciting. So you know how often you can jump online. Well, Australians can do this anyway, and we can see how all of the different super funds are performing in like a five year term um, at the kind of mixed portfolio um, standard portfolio rate rates. Um, how do you? Is that something accurate for us as the person choosing where to put our super? Are they really up-to-date stats when we look at those comparison websites? Sorry, Alex, you cut out a bit there. Do you mind repeating the question? Oh, no, not, a, not at all. Um, so in Australia, we have the ability to jump onto comparison websites and see how all of the different super funds are performing in their basic portfolio, um, you know, with a tiny bit of risk, mostly 
um, mixed uh, uh, kind of investments. And you can sort of see how each um, one is performing over a five-year um, uh, period. Is that really accurate when we jump onto those comparison websites? Uh, it should be accurate. There's a lot yeah. of rules around um, superannuation funds and what they are allowed to and should disclose in terms of uh, performance numbers. And so all the performance numbers people see should be sort of after fees, after taxes, all those sorts of things and should be audited and verifiable. Um, I think uh, if people are interested in ethical investment uh, and they're interested in looking at uh, the returns of ethical funds compared to non-ethical funds, what they should expect is that the returns from uh, ethical funds uh, should be uh, as good or better than uh, non-ethical funds over most time periods. The Responsible Investment Association has done a benchmarking report every year, I think for about the last 10 years, which has shown year after year, um, people shouldn't expect to see too much of a financial uh, return difference between ethical and non-ethical funds. It's just that that financial return is um, made from investing in different things. So really, if you can expect to receive a similar return from investing in things that destroy the planet, uh, as you can from investing in things uh, that make the planet uh, and our communities better, why would you choose uh, the option other than to invest to make our world a better place? But I also think financial returns are just one thing people should consider when they're looking at superannuation. They should consider how it's invested as well. They should consider what sort of member service and things like that they're being offered as well. Mm, and when you say that, what do you mean? What are you guys offering your members? Um, I mean, we, we focus on really engaging our members and connecting them with the power of their money. And that, that comes through in the way we interface with our members in a lot of different ways. We really try to make sure that our website, the information we provide is accessible, it's easy to understand, people can look at it and it speaks to them in plain language and they can make sense of the information that's before them. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, we are completely transparent with the companies that we invest in. Uh, that's a very, very rare thing within our industry. You'll often find a lot of super funds will only put up, say, their first, their top 10 investments, whereas we make the full portfolio available. Um, but then the other thing that we do is we, we build our member servicing team from within the community that we're servicing. So we have this incredible group of young people uh, who are passionate about climate. They care about these social issues. Um, they care just about, as much about them as our members do. And they, as a result, are able to speak passionately about the way superannuation can shape the world according to those values and have some really incredible conversations with our members. Um, and we actually go out of our way to give our team an opportunity to speak to members, give members an opportunity to speak to us and sort of create that two-way dialogue. So every new member who joins Future Super within their first couple of weeks of joining will get a phone call from a member of our team to help them set up their superannuation account the way they want it to be set up. Um, and we'll use that opportunity as well to try and understand how people heard about us, what it was that made them um, take the step to change, what issues they're most passionate about so that we can shape our business to, to reflect that, the things that are important to our members as well. Yeah. yeah, when we've been surveying our members to find out what's really important to them, of course they all love the ethics of how we invest our money, but they're also really quick to say that they just loved the interaction they have with the people uh, that work here and how amazing it was to have somebody phone them up a day or two after joining and we'll find out what's really important to them, not just making sure that we're, uh, you know, receiving, you know, their rollover and things like that as well. 
And this has led us to having a, a net promoter score, which is a, a sort of a measure of how much your customers like you and would be likely to refer you. Our net promoter score for Future Super is positive 70, uh, whereas for the average super fund, it's negative 10. Which oh, means wow. that for most super funds, <laughs> most super funds, people dislike their super funds so much that they would discourage their friends and family from uh, switching to them. Whereas for us, our members love us so much that they are uh, willing to uh, refer us to their friends and family and have that conversation about super. And because they're having this great conversation with our team when they join, they're really well equipped to have that conversation about how their super can make a difference and, and how um, they can get a lot of enjoyment about uh, from being a member of a fund like ours. Yeah. And, and it, again, it comes back to that positive conversation about money as opposed to the people who've generally been centre, left of centre or left. Um, money, you often get brought up in those sorts of families with money being a dirty, wrong thing and the people with the money are the evil people. And I don't think that's helpful because good people with money can do more good stuff. And, uh, and I think ethical investment really helps to um, tip the scales on that, uh, you know, that, that tucking money away behind closed doors, not talking about it because it's a bad thing. You guys are encouraging us to all talk about it through our investments, be proud, be excited to be investing um, because ultimately we're not just investing in our own futures but a better future for our planet. Yeah, that's right. And it's a really interesting point you make around this received wisdom that money is a bad thing, it's complicated, we shouldn't talk about it because it's almost um, the industry is kind of almost incentivized to make us feel that way. If we think superannuation is hard, it's complex, it's difficult to understand, we're not going to engage with the decision about where we put our super, we're not going to consolidate, we're going to continue to have multiple accounts that the super funds are extracting fees from, um, you know, they can do what they want with our money without feeling like they're accountable to us. Um, so it's a really powerful uh, industry inertia to make superannuation complicated and difficult to engage with. Same with banking in many ways. Mm, um, well, it keeps more... it easy to keep it all secretive, doesn't it? Exactly. And, yeah. you know, things that happen behind closed doors. So one of the things, you know, one of our principles has always been about transparency and openness and engaging people with that power of their money. And the great thing about superannuation is that um, provided you meet the, the minimum criteria for receiving super, every Australian has superannuation. Every Australian has an investment that they can choose how to invest. Um, and together, that adds up to a whole lot more money than the richest Australians have at their disposal. And so all of us banding together can, can make a really massive difference. With that yeah, small Australians are trillionaires. And it, it comes back exactly. to the, the collective. It's very, very cool to think that way. Um, so I think I really loved hearing about the, the pulling out of those um, for, away from those companies who had all male boards as an example of your impact. Can you share some other impact stats across other sectors? Yeah, so we, uh, we released our first uh, impact report earlier uh, this year and we oh, decided cool. to, to focus our impact measurement on a, a few different areas. One of them was highlighting our engagement and case studies like the work we've done around uh, advocating for gender diverse boards. And I mean, that, that gender diversity campaigning also included highlighting which of the ASX 100 companies was publishing their gender pay gaps and which were sort of leaders and laggards within the pay gaps in their organisation. For a fund like ours, which has a 60% female membership, I think it's really important that we're advocating 
um, around issues of gender diversity, not just at sort of board level, but also on uh, the gender pay gaps within organisations as well, because that's obviously has a, has a very large impact. Uh, but the other thing that we uh, were measuring in this report was particularly around carbon and how uh, the decision to invest in a fossil free and ethical fund like ours compares to other actions you could take to reduce your carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. uh, and one thing we found, which was a little bit surprising at first, because we knew we were uh, very good on, uh, on our carbon efficiency of our portfolio, but what we found was that uh, all the investments in renewable energy we were making directly more than offset uh, the carbon in the companies we were investing in. So we were a carbon positive <laughs> portfolio, I think is the way we've been trying to, uh, trying to put it. And uh, what we also found was uh, when we looked at that carbon footprint of switching super the amount you could reduce your carbon footprint, uh, it was more impactful uh, than doing all of, uh, you know, converting to a plant-based diet, driving a hybrid car, putting solar panels on your roof, all of those things combined. And uh, it's so impactful because most of us actually have a lot of money in our superannuation. So the carbon footprint of that money is one of our biggest biggest impacts. So that was one of the great things that came out of it and we published on our website uh, a chart showing how switching super to a fund like ours compares to some of these other actions you could take. And I guess mm. the other great thing about it is it's such an easy action to take compared to some of those other examples. Um, you know, switching to a plant-based diet um, requires, you know, a bit of effort up front to, to, to work out how to use it. I'm, I know that both Kirsten and I have gone through <laughs> that process <laughs> ourselves, which is really great and enjoyable and you feel really healthy uh, but, you know, it's a, sort of a constant effort uh, to do that, whereas switching is super is sort of a few minutes uh, on the internet and you're sort of done. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, it's such a, a good reframe, isn't it? Because, you know, those minor, the, the, all the compartmentalised bits of life seem like, oh, my gosh, I can't change my whole life. But, you know, if you can then put to people that actually changing your super, look, it doesn't mean we get away scot-free. It doesn't mean we stop trying on the, on the micro level of our daily lives. But it does mean we've made greater inroads than all of those things put together with a simple switch. So I think that's a really powerful statement. Yeah, and, and of course, it's really important to keep doing those other things. It's important to, you know, for instance, you know, buy the LED lights, keep using your keep cup and things like that. But I think it's also important to maybe not feel as guilty when you forget your keep cup one day as opposed to how guilty you should feel if you're still funding coal, uh, coal power plants through your superannuation or your banking. That's right. You know, there was a really good article in The Guardian recently that was like, not all the reusables in the world are going to save us. <laughs> and I just thought, <laughs> oh, thank you for writing the article that needed to be written. You know, yes, it's amazing because that's often the gateway of awareness for a lot of people. I know it has been for our community, um, but we've got to keep raising the bar, mm. right? We've got to keep saying, well, what's our next step now that we feel comfortable having integrated that habit? Like where, where are we headed next? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And it's one of the things that sort of real light bulb moment that we see a lot with people once they realise the impact that um, not being engaged with their super is having. Um, you know, we've had passionate vegans who don't realise that their superannuation is invested in big agriculture. We've had climate change campaigners who haven't realised that their superannuation is investing in, you know, big coal-fired power plants and coal mines. Um, and that sort of realisation that you might be making these daily sacrifices day in, day out to live the best life you can, 
but the biggest asset that you have is acting against those daily sacrifices and doing almost the opposite of what you're trying to achieve is a really huge moment for people. And so there's a real power in seeing that disconnect and taking positive action to make sure that your super is investing in the same world that you're creating through your daily actions. Mm. And it's almost like putting like a, a little turbocharged hydrogen pack under our butts with the amount of progress we can make, <laughs> exactly. isn't it? Because you, we can feel so desperate. Absolutely. You know, you see the Amazon burning and you think, okay, here's another 25 bucks for that. And let me put some, you know, some money towards this change petition so more people see it. And you can sometimes feel like you're drowning with all the things you're trying to do as a conscious peak. And, uh, and to then add the super thing really means that um, we turbocharge things. I think it's, for me, been one of the biggest realisations of the last few years on my journey. And, and I, I can only get excited about the fact that thousands of people are listening to this right now thinking, you know what, I'm going to have a conversation with my financial planner or my super fund, or actually, I'm just going to go ahead and switch it myself right now online because it's easy. Right, make a cup of tea, switch your super, switch your banking and your energy. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys got banking friends in, in the industry that you, you work with, that you, um, that you recommend, that you love? Anyone you want to give a plug to? Uh, so there's, there's a number of uh, banks and uh, credit unions in Australia that have come out and made a very strong statement against investment in fossil fuels. I think banks like Bank Australia have done that, Bendigo Bank, Teachers Mutual Bank. Um, I think people can feel very safe that the credit unions um, are all free from investment in fossil fuels because they're um, investing in their own communities. Mm. So I think those are the ones that are sort of top of mind for me. Mm. What we haven't seen in Australia is any real leadership from the big four on this issue. Mm. We've seen, you know, some commitments around not financing new coal. Uh, CBAs recently come out saying that they're not going to do any new thermal coal. But there's no one who's been willing to, you know, really get in front of the curve uh, and and show Australia true leadership when it comes to investing in banking, at least at that big four level. So yeah. um, I it's, think it's, it's almost like that less, it's almost like that less bad doesn't mean it's good kind of thing again, doesn't it? Exactly. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen some really big banks overseas jump on board, commit to a timeline that they're going to be divesting their coal assets, but there's no one, none of the big four in Australia have been willing to do that yet. And I bet if, uh, if, they started seeing consumers leaving and choosing the more ethical banks that we'd see pretty quickly an announcement come out of the big four as well. Yeah, absolutely. They're all sitting there in their marketing quarterly, looking at the trends and going, whoa, we need to at least establish an ethical option. That's often the start and then, and then slowly, slowly. Yeah. Um, okay, so to finish up, I would love to um, ask you another couple of questions. I'm conscious of your time. Um, but in terms of your respective passion projects and in investment, if they're different, that is, um, uh, where you've seen the most incredible change lately, Kirsten, for you, is it that gender piece or is it something else that comes to mind? Uh, it is. Yeah, it is definitely the gender piece and I've been involved in campaigning for gender equality within different companies I've worked at and within the companies that we influence for a number of years. Um, and I'm really excited about that on a number of fronts. So we 
we've divested from companies with all male boards because we know that gender diversity and leadership creates better economic outcomes for investors as well as better outcomes for those companies. We also do research into gender pay gap um, reporting and actions being taken by the ASX 100, which is a really exciting way for us to uh, shine a light on who's doing well, but also who's doing poorly. Um, but another thing that we've done is we've asked ourselves as a superannuation company, what would it look like for us to take action as an employer to make sure that, um, that our female staff will be retiring on a similar footing to our male staff? Um, so I'm not sure if you know this, but the, one of the biggest injustices in the superannuation industry is that at the moment in Australia, women retire with 47% uh, less super than men. Yeah, um, horrific. And so, and yeah, for a number of reasons, women are more likely to take time out to care for children and relatives. They're more likely to work part-time. Um, we know then less likely to make the leadership ranks of these big companies, which means they're more likely to be in lower level jobs, which are lower pay over your lifetime. That adds up to a big difference in super. And so we thought about what would it look like to be an ideal employer for our staff. And we introduced a couple of internal policies, which um, were designed to address those gaps. And one of them in particular was that for any staff member of any gender who's taking parental leave, we'll pay their super for the first 12 months that they're on parental leave. So even once their parental leave payments are finished, we'll continue paying their super. Um, and it was really exciting to see in the last couple of weeks, uh, another super fund, I won't, I won't say who, but another super fund has started um, offering that same policy as a benefit to their staff as well. So. Uh, I'm really passionate about the ability of business to act as a force for good and things like that are just such a great way that we can be an influencer in the way we run our business, not just in, in what we invest in and what we do. Yeah, amazing. And Adam, for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I love our campaigning work as well. It's really what sets us apart is the superannuation fund and, and uh, really excites me. Uh, I guess from an from a, um, investment perspective, um, I think one of the interesting things with super is people uh, understand a lot that super funds buy and sell shares, but they also invest in lots of different other types of assets. Uh, and one of those ones that sounds a bit boring, but is uh, really important and really exciting to me at the moment is around providing debt. Uh, and in particular, uh, we've been able to provide debt to a number of renewable energy projects, solar farms, wind farms, which help those projects get started uh, and get off the ground. Right. Um, so you mean, so been, you, uh, mean, uh, you mean issue loans to them? Yeah, exactly right. And some yeah, of these wind farms, solar farms, uh, particularly if they're at the small or mid-scale, they struggle to get that finance from other places. So it's been really great that Future Super has been able to play a role to help fund those projects. It's also been really great for us because those types of assets are a really great way to connect our members to what their money is invested in because they've really directly helped contribute to that asset existing in the first place. When we did our first uh, lot of debt funding, it was for uh, a group of small solar farms in the ACT, uh, and we sent out an invite to our members in Canberra, you know, if they wanted to come out and visit this solar farm. We got overwhelmed. We filled out uh, a few busfuls of people, of members who wanted to come and visit the solar farm. Uh, and for them, it was amazing to just go out, see something that you helped fund. Mm. They went and, you know, packed a picnic and sat amongst the solar panels uh, all oh, day. Wow. It was just... It, uh, it was really lovely and, and for, for someone like me who's worked in the investment industry for a long time, it's really great to be able to connect um, people so directly with things their money has helped fund and see them just love it so much. So that's been um, one of the things I've really enjoyed over the last few years. 
Yeah, amazing. And so just so that I can understand how it works. So do you become um, an equity shareholder in that new business as the fund or is it simply providing um, a, a loan that they pay back in a, in a contractual kind of way? Yeah, we, we can do both of those things. So sometimes mm. it's pure debt. So we provide the debt funding to help them get started and they pay back that debt at, at, a, at a rate um, that we've agreed. Or sometimes that debt converts to an equity ownership over time. It all depends on uh, the particular project. But it's been great that I think we've um, now been able to fund uh, a few dozen uh, solar farms and wind farms around Australia. So that's been really exciting for me. And it's great that our members can so directly fund that clean energy transition. How exciting is that? Um, and what a way for big broadacre farms to perhaps use some of their land moving forward to actually, you know, start producing energy for our country through solar panels. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. There's one of these solar farms, uh, which is in Swan Hill, that we helped fund that uh, last summer when there was uh, rolling blackouts and our coal-fired power stations were, um, were shutting down. Uh, this solar farm in near Swan Hill kept the lights on in that area so um, and did so uh, um, because a lot of the electricity, the electricity prices were not very high at the time. Our members both kept the lights on in that area and got a great return on their investment at the same time. Uh, so that one was also sort of um, a particularly uh, pleasing one for me as well. Okay. And I guess the last thing I want to ask, conscious of the fact that we have people in 69 countries who listen to this podcast, even though the majority are Aussies, I would love for us to be able to give some broader tips on where people might start just asking the right questions uh, of their banks and where they have their money placed through various investments. Is it as simple as sending a letter and saying, hi, I just wanted to know where my money's being kept and what it's funding. Is that where we start? Is it as easy as that? Uh, yeah, it is as easy as that. Um, so make a phone call, send a letter, send an email, um, so, you know, contact uh, your investment manager or your financial advisor in any way that's needed to actually get a, a response from them uh, and really just ask, you know, where are you investing my money? Uh, if there are areas, uh, ethical areas that you're particularly concerned about, whether it be climate change, inequality, animal rights, things like that, specifically ask if your money is exposed to those activities and if it is, um, what your fund manager is willing to do to uh, reduce or remove those exposures to those activities. Uh, and of course, if you don't ask them, they won't tell you. So it's very important to take that take that action. Yeah, yeah. and I think the important thing is to ask. It, it doesn't really matter about getting your question to the right person within your bank or within your super fund. Um, just pick up the phone, call their call centre. They can direct your question or they can they can email through information. But the important thing is for people to show that they're interested in what's happening with their money. Um, to, to take an interest to put pressure on their, the managers of their money to act in a way that they'd be proud to know that their money is invested in that way. And if you get an answer that you're not happy with and if you're not getting the response that you want, then um, take the time, research, find a fund or find a bank that does better reflect your values and make the decision to, to put your money where your values are. Yeah, and tell tell the, uh, the bank you left why you left mm. as well. It's really important to create that avalanche of letters. <laughs> it's so <laughs> important. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah, I actually left uh, uh, one of the big four recently, uh, about three years ago, I closed a savings account that I'd had since I was 10 years old. And we just mm. filled out all the paperwork and 
I left and that was it. The guy didn't ask me anything about why I was going. Um, so I just, I, I was kind of dumbfounded and I just didn't even think to say anything then and there, but I followed it up with an email and I just wanted to say, look, you know, I've been a customer for 30 years. This is why I left. And uh, I just thought you should know. And I didn't get a reply, but I think I, you just have to trust sometimes if that is the case, that it's being heard somewhere and, they're all being pulled eventually to go, well, you know what? We've had like a hundred of these this month. Maybe we need to have a meeting. Yeah. And I mean, on the flip side, if you don't get a response, then that tells you something as well. Oh, um, I, I totally engage, agree. Yeah, if they won't engage with your question, um, then they might listen when you, you move your business and they lose your revenue. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much to both of you for this conversation. I think it's been a really inspiring one for us to see just how powerful our uh, superannuation funds are as a collective. Uh, and, uh, and let's see if we can get a few more runs on the board uh, divesting our money from what we don't want our future world to look like and investing in the future that we do want for us and our kids. Thank you both of you for joining me uh, and I can't wait to share this with the audience. Great. Thank you, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com. And there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body, and mind topics, as well as kids, and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.